Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. Today's guest is Katie Hilborn, the founder and director of the Global Orphan Prevention International Nonprofit. Their mission is, in summary, to strive to keep mothers and children together by providing resources and training sufficient to maintain families. As my listeners know, we have a wide variety of nonprofits and leaders featured on the show who are all striving to make their world better. And what I'm excited for you to hear about today in this show is the passion that Katie brings to a very difficult problem, child trafficking and the orphan trade. In this show, you'll hear some powerful yet tragic stories from a part of the world many of us don't know much about, Nepal. Not only did Nepal experience a horrific earthquake in 2015 that nearly killed 9,000 people, they continue to struggle with serious economic challenges that directly impact families, especially those on the lowest end of the economic spectrum. Enjoy today's show as you hear how Katie is making her world better. Well, Katie is calling on the phone all the way from Denver today, my old stomping grounds where I came from before moving to Park City. Katie, it's so good to have you on the show today. Thanks for being on the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. Yeah, great. Th- yeah, and thank you for having me on the show. Um, yeah, so basically, I started Global Orphan Prevention in the summer of 2011, and I before that, I had always done volunteer projects all around the world and on various content, continents and, and whatnot, but I had just brought myself. I was always Katie, the volunteer, and in 2011, I wanted to step it up a notch and move from a space of Katie, the volunteer, to Katie the change maker, which essentially change makers turn complaining into action. <laughs> and uh, that first summer, I had somehow managed to collect $3,000 in donations from family and friends. And I said, okay, I'm going to travel through India, and I'll let you know the best way that I will find to spend your donation. You know, and, and I was keeping a blog, and it was just a really beautiful summer. And I had gotten to India and realized that it was India in July, 100 degrees with 100% humidity, and it was too hot. <laughs> so I immediately uh, got on a bus from uh, Varanasi, which is a, um, where the Ghats uh, meet the Ganges, and it's a sacred uh, holy pilgrimage site. I basically got on a bus and hopped up to Nepal, and it was like as soon as I crossed the border, it was a night and day difference, literally. Um, the weather was about 15 degrees cooler, and the skies opened up, and I thought, okay, this is where I want to help, and this is where I want to start something. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that first summer, I, I literally spent traveling around Nepal looking for ways to help, and I knew I had always wanted to get involved with children in some some fashion. 
And originally, I was helping the orphan homes. Um, and about, and I knew this pretty early on, but about a month into it, I soon discovered that a lot of these children in these orphan homes actually had living parents. And the orphan homes in itself was almost, well, it was a for-profit business. Um, that that was a discovery in, in 2011, and UNICEF actually found that 80% of children in orphan homes in developing countries have living parents. So it's not just Nepal, but the majority of it does happen in Asia. We got to talk about this. Yes. Yeah, so what what's going on here? So is it a matter of because the economics are so difficult for some of these families, they basically lie and say this is an orphan, uh, and therefore the parents and or the kids get more money that way. What what's the I'm assuming that's the motivation. But what what have they found? They go to the orphan homes for one of two reasons. The first reason is the mother has been widowed or abandoned, and in Nepal and in the in India and in Hindu societies. The caste system is basically a, a social stratification um, placement where your last name and your birth determines what kind of job you're going to have for the rest of your life and your fate. And you pass that down right. to your children and their children, etc. So the mothers were on the lowest rung of the Hindu caste system. They're referred to as Dalits or the untouchables. So what happens is um, if, if they're widowed or abandoned by their husbands, it, it almost turns into a catch-22. Uh, they can either beg on the streets with their children or give them up to the orphan homes in hopes that they'll have a better life. So this really inspired you to say, we've got to do something about this. This is a problem. So that got you going on your journey a little bit, sounds like, to get this organization started. As I was traveling through the country, I was realizing that all these people are funneling money into the orphan homes. So many. But at the end of the day, no one's helping the mothers. And my philosophy has always been if you want to fix a problem, you got to get to the root of it. Um, a lot of organizations offer a band-aid approach, which isn't sustainable. Succeeding, you know, trying to solve the problem after it's already happened, but getting to the root of it which what I found was finances, lack of money. So I drew from ideas of social enterprise to help these widowed or abandoned mothers that first summer. And I was so I was using those funds that I had raised to invest in farming businesses for them, such as goats, buffaloes, cows, some kind of, you know, agriculture, animal husbandry, and so forth. So that's how we started in that summer. That's fantastic. And so as you've moved forward, you've had a lot of different experiences where you're, I know based on the videos on your website, you've bumped into challenges, obstacles, uh, people that really are not supportive of what you're trying to do over there. Maybe there, give us a couple of stories of uh, things you've experienced, uh, some wins, if you will, uh, and how you're moving forward with your organization. My work and our programs have evolved a lot with the needs of the people. So um, right now we are just focused in Nepal. My hope is to expand globally in the next few years. But, you know, there there's a lot of work to be done in Nepal right now. And in 2015, uh, I'm sure a lot of you are aware that there was a massive earthquake in Nepal, uh, killing over 10,000 people and displacing over a million. So 
I was in Australia at that time working on visa issues, and I couldn't get to Nepal as soon as I wanted. So my friends, colleagues, and um, advisors were already there on the ground doing these kind of guerrilla humanitarian-style missions in which essentially they were taking matters into their own hands. So what we discovered was that after the earthquake, all the police checkpoints were inactive. They were down. And members within the community acted like sleeper agents, and they were activated. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's when they that's when they decided to take the girls. So these traffickers who were already members in the community that these girls knew and recognized basically lured and manipulated them and completely took advantage right. of them because of their illiteracy. And, and so the, the girls were lured and manipulated and promises of – and the, the traffickers, they get sneaky. Sometimes they'll go in there and they'll find a couple that's just been married, and they get married young, about 15, 16. And the trafficker will come in and they'll create a conflict. So to the point where the the new wife is upset with her new husband, and that's when they come in. And they say, oh, well, why don't you come to the capital with me? I'll get you a good job. Or, hey, I'll put you in school. It will be great. And this is how the girls sometimes come willingly. See, once they cross mm-hmm. that Indian border, uh, you it's over. This, this is good in the sense it's a, to know someone like you cares deeply. You're willing to go all the way up this mountain, you know, to, to really to track down these 19 girls. Um, so obviously you've got this vision. You're building this organization. Um, you've, it's a big task you're undertaking. So what kind of your plan, you know, as you think about your mission, this, this could be, it's huge, right? In terms of the number of kids being trafficked, uh, you know, based on your websites, a lot, I mean, five to 10,000 Nepali women sounds like are trafficked to India each year. So what, how are you going to go about, you know, basically knocking that down? In other words, what what are you going to focus on? How are you going to narrow your focus so you can have the highest impact, uh, to really address this issue? What we found is that, you know, there are a lot of organizations that out there that do, um, you know, the, the rebuilding work, and that's good because the, there are there are girls that are rescued and they they need a lot of help when they come home. Um, so there's organizations that fight that. There's organizations that have it's kind of like equivalent to an Amber Alert system set up in Nepal. Here's here's where the idea sprung from. So I'm sitting in this person's home and there's about 20 of us and me and Lakshmi and um, another volunteer that I was with and I said and, and I want so how I believe in philanthropy and humanitarian work is that I want the people to come up with the idea um, I, I call it soft power versus hard power hard power is uh, the American military tactics and foreign diplomacy whereas Soft power is you go into a place and you say, well, what do you want? How can we solve the problem? What do you need from us? So that's always kind of been my tactic, approaching problems and finding solutions. So deep down, I I did know the answer, but I wanted them to say that. And I said, "Um, what can we do? What's, What's the problem? And it was like this little angel came out of the shadows, a little 15 year old girl, no less, raised her hand and asked to speak. And I said, come forward. And this is through a translator, by the way. And she goes, well, the problem's money. The problem's finances. Um, 
you know, we need some kind of income generation up here so we're not taken advantage of. And I, 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 that made my heart melt because coming from a 15-year-old girl, a member within the community, having this idea means that uh, it, it, it's just more likely to succeed. And so um, Lakshmi and I went back to Kathmandu, and we said, and I told them, I said, look, I can't help you right now. I can't get your missing girls back. But I will try everything I can to make sure another girl's not taken. And yeah. Lakshmi and I went back, and we met um, we met with our friend Utam, who um, he's he's uh, one of the co-founders of a large Nepali bank, and he runs a microfinance program called the Clean Village Microfinance. So we met with Utam. It was me, Lakshmi, and a couple of our other friends and. Uh, business people, business uh, business people that live in Nepal, and we decided to create a social enterprise microfinance program by injecting income generation into this village. Nice. We've decided to invest in chili and cardamom farming up in that region. Chili and cardamom farming are a cash crop. The reason a lot oh. of people don't um, have chili and cardamom farming is because it's a it's a, a large initial investment. The plants themselves are expensive and then it doesn't yield profit for two years so it's a it's an investment it's a, it's a business venture in the long haul but we decided we want to invest in chili and cardamom farming and then uh, subsidize that offset that with some kind of maybe like sheep uh, sheep farming where they can not only eat the meat but they can uh, make coats and stuff from the wool and that that's an immediate yield so We've decided to look into this area of chili cardamom farming and uh, sheep husbandry. And the bank itself is providing microloans, and the um, the bank will help with training and monitoring. Now, where global organ prevention comes in is that we're raising money to offset the interest rate. Interest rate is, because of inflation, interest is really high in Nepal. It's 17, 18%. We're working together as a team. So the microfinance company does the training, the monitoring provides the loans, etc. And we're going to help with farm-to-market facilitation, getting their product to the market so that they can um, be successful. Um, another thing is we're raising the, all the funding that we raise right now is going to help offset that interest rate. Um, and so because the, the goal is to get the girls to school to become literate. If a girl is educated and literate, she can become empowered and take matters into her own hands. Katie, talk a little bit more about your social enterprise approach. We've had a lot of people on the show talk about that, and you're obviously employing that when it comes to your nonprofit. Talk about how you're going about that, and particularly when it comes to microfinance programs and the social enterprise approach with the in-country organizations that you're working with. This year within our organization is the year for growth. It's where we're really going to be made and shown into what we can become. It's definitely the year for progress and evolution. So I will give a little bit of backstory in that I've always been in the field. I've always been working hands-on with the people. And as the founder of a, a nonprofit, it's really hard to get funding when you're not living, eating, and breathing in the places that provide the funding. <laughs> um, 
so after the Nepal earthquake, I decided uh, to move back to Colorado. Um, I've gone to college here. Colorado is kind of has been my home basically since 18. And but I had been away for so many years working in the field that funding had kind of become stagnant in that we were only getting private donations um, and crowdfunding, and, and that's that's kind of how we were sustaining ourselves. But I realized that I need to be in America to, to essentially, you know, I'm the chief fundraising officer. Essentially, I, I wear many, many hats. <laughs> you know, I'm, I help with the marketing and advertising and the blogging and the videography, but fundraising is, is, is need to be one of our ma- uh, major focuses right now. So this year, um, excuse me, last year, I took a little bit of a sabbatical. I was finishing writing a book about the North, uh, Nepal earthquake relief efforts. That was about a year and a half project. I'll, I'll be done in a few months. But now I'm actually able to shift focuses and work on building the nonprofit, which a lot of mentors and advisors really say that you should run a nonprofit in much the same way that you'd run a for-profit. And they said, Katie, I know you've been around since 2011, but you need to really look at yourself like a startup. What would a startup do? And so I formed a young professionals board, and uh, it's about um, 15 members between the ages of 21 and 39 who are young professionals within the community, and they have diversified skill sets. You know, they're professional advertisers, professional marketers, fundraisers. you know, business consultants, et cetera, web designers. And I have a team, uh, they're actually incredible team, 15 strong of people that believe in the mission and they just want to help and they want to get the nonprofit to where it needs to be. So I formed that in March and we're really uh, strategizing on the best way to move forward. So we have a couple things in the works. Um, In addition to just looking for, you know, corporate sponsors and corporate donors. We've been able to attach our name to a lot of large events here in Denver. Um, there's this uh, event producer called Kevin Larson, and his events can bring in up to a 1,000 people, and he does various things like pool parties, derby parties, uh, Mardi Gras celebrations, ha- Halloween, basically any uh, holiday that you can think of. And I've partnered with him um, in which he gives a percentage of his parties to my organization. Another thing that we're looking into, obviously, we're um, finishing up some grants for specific um, uh, needs in in our social enterprise program. But we're also looking for brand partnerships. And this is, uh, I don't know if anyone's familiar with this, but it's called Cause Marketing. Essentially, Cause Marketing is a brand or a company attaches their name to a charity, and they either um, donate a percentage of their sales to that charity, and or they round up on the dollar, um, you know, it, or kind of like Tom's, like buy one get one. Tom's shoes, where you buy a pair of shoes, another pair of another pair of shoes is, you know, sent sent whatever to uh, Central America. So there's a lot of uh, areas dive into with brand partnerships and so we're really diving into that and working out our um, corporate plan and essentially that that 
uh, will be like our final piece of fundraising that we really need to kind of just propel us to the next level. Well, Katie, you had a really good point about cause marketing. I think that's a term that is kind of a new term for a lot of people. Explain what is cause marketing and how are you going about bringing cause marketing into your nonprofit? Right. Well, the, the first step is to have, you know, a solid website, to have solid corporate engagement um, uh, a program and kind of like a, you know, a flyer or a benefit sheet. Like we really need to solidify what that brand partnership will look like. And that's where my team comes in. <laughs> I will admit that, you know, I'm, I'm on the front lines. Uh, I, I like business and the idea of business, but it hasn't been my strong suit. I'm the storyteller. I'm the implementer. I'm, I'm on the ground. I'm on the ground. So my team right now is developing that in the sense that how I see it is, you know, essentially I'm, I'm going to turn into a saleswoman at the end of the day. Um, it's going to be me, you know, placing this information in front of the right people at corporations and requesting meetings and basically asking. At the end of the day, I need to ask, and it needs to be me that does it, you know, and that's one of the main reasons that I've come back to Denver. So we're still in the development phases of that, but in the next couple months, we're hoping to solidify and roll out some you know, solid uh, brand partnerships. Well, you know, interesting, something you said I thought was really smart. As a leader, you realize, here's my strengths. Here's what I must do. You know, you're the storyteller. You're the vision caster. You're the overall CEO, right, of this organization. So you've got other people that could really run with the fundraising piece. I think it's really smart. How long did it take you to figure that out? And was that something you kind of came to with your board? Did you just kind of have a kind of self-revelation? Or how did that come about where you made that decision? Because my guess would be that's a really wise thing that's going to help you go to the next level. Because, right, you're only one person. You can't do everything. And I think a lot of nonprofits, particularly when they're smaller in the startup phase, they, the temptation for EDs slash CEOs of nonprofits is to try to do everything. You know, to wear every single hat for too long. And either you burn out on the one hand or the organization just kind of fizzles because you can't be good at everything. Maybe talk about that. How did you go about making that decision and what led you to make that decision? Right. So um, I'm heavily involved in the philanthropic circles in Denver. I'm always going to galas and supporting people. And I have a lot of friends that work for nonprofits or, you know, our board donor ambassadors and engagement chairs and um, also founders themselves. So, it's really all about taking a mentor. And what, what's great is that everyone always wants to help you. Um, people are always willing to say, okay, well, we're successful. This is how we did it. You should try this as well. So I have a few um, mentors within the city that I meet with frequently and just basically pick their brains. And they're available for a phone call whenever I want it, which is incredible. Um, I just realized that when you're doing great things, um, people just kind of show up for you in the right in the right space. You know, you of course I, I I put my intention out there that I'd like to manifest certain scenarios and desires, but they always come to you. Uh, is is what I have found. I, I've been in the right places at the right times to make this happen because I know in my heart that I'm doing an incredible good thing. And we have potential to save hundreds, maybe thousands of 
of children. Do you th- well, this is really good. Do you think that listening to wise leaders or just listening period has been critical to your success? Yes. Um, I, I let ego aside. I stay humble. And sometimes the truth hurts. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. And I am okay with that. I I rather, you know, I, I'm originally from Chicago and we're really sarcastic. And if someone doesn't like what you're doing, they will tell you right then and there to your face. And that's how I was raised, you know. And so I expect my advisors and mentors and my team to be exactly the same. You know that saying, you're the sum of the five people you surround yourself with. And if you're the smartest woman in the room, you're in the wrong room. <laughs> and that's been a I like that, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's been a philosophy I have lived with uh, my entire adult life. So I definitely think it's uh, important to uh, my success. Well, very good. Well, this has been so interesting to hear about how you got started, how you're moving forward, and just some of the steps along the way. I think this podcast is going to be particularly good and helpful for those who are kind of in that startup phase and smaller nonprofits that are really wanting to navigate through to that next level. Uh, The fact that you're a listener and you lean into people around you is so wise. Everything that I've learned about leadership, that is absolutely critical. Um, So well, well done. Looking forward to see what happens as, you know, your organization grows and as Global Orphan prevention continues to expand and become more international, as you mentioned. Um, So if people want to know more about what you do, more about the organization, how do they get in touch with you? Right. So I would say definitely check out our website, globalorphanprevention.org. But also follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're on basically all the social media outlets, and it's literally just Global Orphan Prevention. If you do a quick search, you can't miss us. Um, I will say that in October and November, I'm heading back to Nepal for a month. I'm bringing um, some members of my Young Professionals Board with me, and we're going up. We're going back to Seeker Bessie to the child trafficking region to um, do monitoring, and we're going to be heading to other villages to uh, to do more investigation and implementing of these microloan programs. That's great. Well, good. Well, again, our guest today has been Katie Hilborn. She's the founder and director of the Global Orphan Prevention Nonprofit, and their mission is, in summary, to strive to keep mothers and children together by providing resources and training sufficient to maintain families. Katie, thank you again for calling in from Denver. You're doing good work. It's not easy, and I can't wait to hear, like I said, another six months, another year to see how you've grown and how you've expanded and helped even more kids. Well, thank you. I, I just appreciate you giving me a platform to tell our story because you know, the first step is awareness, really, at the end of the day. That's the first step. I want to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website site, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.